Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. We are doing the July 3rd episode. We've moved on from Deuteronomy to Joshua. So we're doing Deuteronomy, Joshua, Psalms, and working towards the end of Isaiah this week. And Kelly's here today. Yeah. This episode, we have Kelly with us. It is the first sometimes Kelly event. <laughs> first sometimes. Kind of a big deal. I feel like it's a big deal. It is. It feels like a really big <laughs> well, deal. I wouldn't go that far. Part of me really wished that I had read the full book of Deuteronomy. I think I read the first couple, and then I took a huge break from reading, and then, you know, jumping in at 31 through 34 was not like out of context, but I kind of wish that I would have had more. But the first thing I'll say is that the song, the song of Moses, is that, that was, yeah, that's where we started. Yeah. 32. I really wish I could hear him sing it. (laughs) Right. I mean, (laughs) I just kind of, because it's called that and in my mind, I just kept reading as if it was a song. And I was like, well, this is a crazy song. That's the yeah. <laughs> it's a really long song. I was it's thinking like when really you long. stand up when you were a kid and we used to sing the hymns and we would sing like mm-hmm. all million verses of it. That's what yes. It and I was thinking about the fact that classical education is based on this memory work idea. You do a ton of memory work before you fully understand all of it. And then once you have it memorized, then sort of your understanding of all of these things as you grow older grows deeper, but you have this coat hanger to kind of hang hang it all on as the song is just sort of the basis. And then you kind of hang all of your experiences off of those. Because my kids do classical education, I love the idea that God was like, let me teach you through song. Because that's what they do. They learn through song when they're little. Every Every memory verse or every memory work has a song that goes with it. But then I looked at the song and I was like, oh, my kids haven't even begun to learn how to actually memorize. This so is long. really long. So long. Because that's what he tells them to do, right? Is to memorize the song and to teach yeah. the song. Yeah. yeah, which is one of the things I love about the Jewish culture is there, and I think we've talked about this before, there's so many things that they repeat and yes. as part of their tradition and their habits, they repeat it to their children and they pass it down. And I just flipped over to Joshua because I thought of it while you were talking. When they're setting up the memorial stones after they go through, it's the same thing. This isn't the first time it's happened, but I love that he gives them a reason. And I feel like I've also underlined this reason throughout the reason that they're supposed to set up this thing and talk about it and remind their kids is so that all the peoples of the earth will know that the Lord's hand is mighty. And so that you may always fear the Lord, your God. One of the things I thought of when I was reading the song of Moses, if I put myself in Moses shoes, I think I'd be really angry because he didn't get to see the promised land from that one little thing that he did. And there have been multiple times along the way where when Moses is talking about it, he says, I didn't get to see the problem's land because of your sin. So he's kind of blaming it on the Israelites. And I forget it's popped up either in Psalms or Isaiah, the same thing that Moses didn't get to see the promised land because of Israel's sin, that they like provoked his anger basically. But anyway, 
he's not mad. He's so, he still is so full of worship and recognizing that God is God and reminding them of what he's done. And I don't know, that just stuck out to me. We can't possibly know what was going on in Moses's heart, but it makes me wonder if Moses actually realized the gravity of what happened in a way that we could never possibly, Yeah, you know, what was going on in his heart is between he and God and to us, it looks small, but I wonder if to Moses, he realizes just how, Yeah. yeah, how big what he had done was based on this. Like what you're just saying is that he accepts it. Mm-hmm. he's not angry or bitter. It's like he understands like who he is in relationship to God yeah. and what his sin means to a holy, right. to a holy God. Which makes sense just because of what we know about Moses and how yeah. he's, you know, he had the spirit of God and he was a man of God. And the very end of Deuteronomy talks about how he's the only prophet in Israel who ever knew the Lord face to face. So you're right. I'm sure he did understand it in a way that I obviously don't at the moment. Yes. You wouldn't be able to explain that. He wouldn't be able to articulate Mm -hmm. any of that, like what it felt like, the gravity of it. I don't think there's any way you could possibly. Right. Yes. I just wanted to take a quick break and let you know that if you're enjoying our reading plan, but you're looking to dive deeper into the text using the Bible as your source, you're going to love our dive studies. We begin the book of Ruth on June 30th. We'll dive deep into one chapter per week. You'll have the opportunity to participate in live online video discussion with Annika and I and the rest of the Bible study group. Our next studies begin June 30th, so be sure to sign up at divecollective.org before we start. My version says in verse in chapter 34, verses 7 through 8, His eyesight was sharp. He still walked with a spring in his step. The people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. I just love the idea that he was this old, old man who had gone through so much life and he still like God kept him sharp in all of those ways. Mm. But I also love the idea. Okay. So I, me and my neighbors are, have been reading through this book called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. And there's been a lot of really great stuff in it. But this one chapter that's like, it's affected all of us was this chapter on Sabbath. For the first time I read it and I was like, who would not want this? Like, why have I I not been doing this? And now I'm reading it and I see Sabbath and rest everywhere. In fact, Mm -hmm. even in this week, I see another place where it talks about how much he wants us to have rest. So we've been, I've been starting to practice Sabbath, trying to prepare all of my work and all of the things that I want to have ready for Sabbath done so that I can just, Sally's book became my Sabbath book. I would lay down underneath the quilt and just read the day away. And it's been delightful, but these different things that he sets up because he knows that we, our hearts and our human bodies need it. Mm-hmm. And so that morning, that morning phrase made me think of the same thing is that there's a set time where we're expected to do nothing more than mourn when we're sad and that it's necessary. And mm-hmm. I was, it made me think he sets up a time that this should be enough time for you to get through the excruciating pain of grief before you should be, you need to be expected to do anything else. And and 30 days is a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Actually reading the Sabbath part. um, I can't remember which book it was in now, but I did feel convicted about that. I feel like that's something that I had in the past, probably a year ago that um, I really was intentional about doing that, like blocking off that time. But it wasn't until reading this this week that I was like, Oh, I see why God wanted me to do this this week. Because I think that that's, so important. It's said so often throughout the Bible. 
I just felt like it was really convicting and like such a great way for me this week to read about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with Sabbath, one of the things that I'm noticing that I have never noticed before that's fascinating to me now that I'm sort of getting my head wrapped around like the intention of Sabbath is it's for our good. You know, it's it's a gift to us to, to take a day and stop and enjoy all that he's given to us. Mm-hmm. Like all of our work produces fruit. And then we have this day to just enjoy this fruit that he's producing in our lives and the things that he's given us to just say like, thank you. Like it's just to enjoy. And so, but you think about all of the things that so often, like the Sabbath is the thing in there that like, he's taking so seriously above all else. And it's the greatest gift that he's given us. Just such a funny, you know, to be in this place where I'm like, why would we ever not? And then I love you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you get that? I love you. That's all of Isaiah, right? Why don't you get that? I love you. Yes. So let's move on to Joshua, Joshua 2. Yes. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in the Rahab story, and I mentioned in our dive groups, that I love that we're reading the Rahab story since she's the mother of Boaz. So when the spies go there and they're kind of like, hey, what's, what's the deal? And she goes, I know that God has given you the land. We're all afraid. Everyone in the country feels hopeless. We heard how God dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you left Egypt and what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan. This is in 9 through 11, I think. I was just thinking about the fact that those things that she's citing that had them scared happened 40 years before. So when the spies had first gone, if they had first gone, that land was ready to be overtaken. And if they had believed God, they could have had it 40 years earlier because the things that she's citing that had her worried happened before they wandered for 40 years. As I was reading this, I was actually thinking it was very, it was much sooner or like much more recently. Because I was too because of I was just thinking it was because maybe it was in context to Galatians, but like the rumors and like things kind of quickly going around that area is kind of where I went with that. But you're absolutely right. Like that's not the case at all. This which is interesting. Super interesting. I thought it was recent because of the Amorite kings, Sion and Og. Those are really fresh names in my mind. And so, I, but I think they're fresh because they've been recounting everything that has happened, over right? Over and over and over yeah. again. I noticed the hanging the red rope out of her window mm-hmm. and their command to stay, to bring all of her family inside and stay inside and go, don't go outside. All of this reminded me of the Passover. It was like the, the red blood. blood of the lamb that they had to put on their doorposts and that they were all told to go inside and do not go outside for any, mm-hmm. any reason. And you'll only be saved if you stay inside. Anyway, that just like all pointed in that direction to me, which I've never read it that way before. So that was kind mm-hmm. of fun. So I was thinking when she's talking to them about how they've been terrified and that the Lord, for the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She says that. And it made me wonder, I wonder how much, there must have been some relief for her to be like, she became part of that Israelite community and God became her God. I wonder how long she had been believing that in this pagan culture, or if this was a new, if she was like, I know who your God is. If it was just recognition or if there was like some faith that what was happening in her heart, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had she been like, was God already her God and had been for a while? And yet she has no real concept of all of this because yeah, it's such a good question. I had this, culture and 
Yeah. I had the same questions and I was like, she's just trying to escape. This is totally selfish. And yet God still honors it. Like she's just trying to escape certain death. She's just being tricky. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so funny because I, I don't think of it that way for me. It feels so genuine, which is the opposite of how I usually, I usually assume you're trying to be tricky. I'm not the kind of person who assumes the best in people. I mean, I think she's being, she's being very smart in how she's handling it. Mm -hmm. Yes. yeah, she's definitely tricky. She's super tricky the way that she she hid them and then she tells them to stay three days. She's pretty much directing them and exactly how to get away with right. a crime, you know, treason to her nation, but she's doing it for who she knows to be the one true God. Mm-hmm. And I just love that it's a harlot, you know, yeah. God calls a harlot and he uses her skills to do what he needs to do mm-hmm. for his nation to succeed. Yeah, you're right. I mean, putting it into context, her skills living a lifestyle like that she probably is kind of used to some trickery yeah (laughs) yes and she would have been so unclean to them and they went in her house I wonder what that well right I wondered why they were there in the first place that I was wondering (laughs) the exact same no really I actually wonder whether I mean really I wonder whether Boaz whether Boaz's dad is one of these spies Mm -hmm. I've always wondered that and the plot thickens (laughs) (laughs) the Jordan. This is so good. So we're talking about, so now they go back, the spies go back to across the Jordan. They report that God has given them the land based on their conversation with Rahab. And now they're getting, now it's time to cross the Jordan. And I just love like the excitement building. Like you can just Mm -hmm. kind of feel the, the excitement building as they're their leaders are going through the camps and telling them, you know, watch for the Ark of the Covenant when it starts to go be ready. And, um, and then Joshua announces to all of them, you know, get in line. And for me, I could almost feel like the drum beating faster and mm-hmm. faster and faster. Okay. So when they crossed the Red Sea, the water, it was, it's a sea. So the water parts on both sides and they go through. Yep. This is a river. So they're crossing through the river and he stops the flow. So mm-hmm. all of those towns and stuff that were like further down, didn't have water. So I was just thinking about how the word must have, the word just spread in a completely different way because people were like, wait, where'd the Jordan River go? (laughs) (laughs) So true. And it also made me wonder, I mean, that couldn't have been, we're talking like a million people. So I wonder how long the priests had to stand in the middle of the river and hold the the Ark of the Covenant for everyone to go across. And then those towns, like that could have been like, days potentially that they had no river flowing by their cities. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my gosh, for a million people to go through. That's such a true, good point. We should probably give some, like, tell the story. Yeah. A short version of the story. Go for it. Oh, okay. So there's, so there is, they're crossing the Jordan. They have to cross the Jordan in order to go take Jericho. They have to cross the Jordan at flood stage. So sometimes the Jordan is actually a trickle of water and some seasons, this season is harvest season. It's like, it overflows the banks. So this is the season that they have to go and cross the Jordan. It's at flood stage. And so the priests lead them. That's the one thing is that that's Mm -hmm. why they say, Hey, get ready. When you see the Ark of the covenant getting ready to go, you need to be ready to go. So they'll follow. Right. God tells them that they have to go step into the banks. So these priests actually have to go put their feet in the water of this flooded raging river before it stops. And then once it stops, then they go through on dry ground, but the priests have to go in and they have to stand in the middle of the river. So they go before them. 
the Ark of the Covenant goes before them. And actually it says, shoot, I hope I underlined it. I love this. It says, yeah, here it is. Okay. Chapter three, verses nine through 13. I'm going to shorten it, but it says, Joshua addressed the people of Israel. Attention, listen to what God, your God has to say. This is how you'll know that God is alive among you. He'll completely dispossess before you, all of these peoples. And then he says, think of it. Master of the entire earth is crossing the Jordan as you watch. Now take 12 men, tribes of Israel, blah, 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 blah. And I just love that, that he's like saying, like, when you're seeing this happen, make sure that what you have on your mind is that you're thinking about the God of the universe is leading you across the land. And so that's what he does. He goes before them in this Ark of the Covenant. He stand, they stand on dry ground. They literally just walked into a, a raging river and now the, dr- the ground is dry. They stand in the middle of the river and a million people cross. And then while they're crossing, they're told to pick up, st- tap, t- pick up 12 stones to take with them from the bottom of this riverbed to take across so that they can build a monument. And then after everybody crosses, then the Levites come out behind them. So God goes before them and behind them in this is example. And you see, you hear that those phrases a lot, like God goes before us and behind us. I had never seen a picture of that. I never had a, an image to understand what that looked like, but here it is. And then they go across, they all end up go and it emphasizes, it says three times they go on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground. Finally, the whole nation was across the Jordan and not one wet foot. That's what my version says. I'm actually not sure what the more accurate to the Hebrew would be, but I think mine just says it twice, Mm -hmm. but that emphasis, because there's no way it should have been dry. Right. The Red Sea was dry too. Like just the connection. Yeah. Yeah. The miracle upon a miracle. There's no way to mistake that this is God's handiwork. So anyway, I love that, that he goes before them and behind them. And then we get the monument picture that follows that. I love that he makes, he's like, just remember I'm coming before you and behind you. Like, don't get distracted by what's going on you know, like focus on me during the chaos that you're going to go through. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that he's got that image for them. They're all crossing that same image. They're getting ready according to that image of the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. They're crossing beside that image of the Ark of the Covenant. And then he comes behind them. And then they're supposed to build that monument as a reminder. Okay. So then I can't, of course, you all know that I've been tracing the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe mm-hmm. of Manasseh since the beginning of Deuteronomy. So there's just this procession of a million people, but in particular, the Gadites and the Reubenites who have, who already inherited their portion of land, their families are all behind herding their flocks and their sheep back in on this side of the Jordan. They've established the part that they're going to inherit, but the Reubenites and the Gadites in repentance for asking to be able to stay while the rest of the tribes um, had to take their land, they responded by saying, we will take up the lead for the Israelites. Not only will we go, but we will actually lead our brothers and sisters into battle and we will not come back until they have taken every square inch of the promised land, which I just convicts me so much. And I love that, but here they are there's a procession of all of the people, right? We've got women and children and herds of sheep that are coming in behind them. But the Gadites and the Reubenites and half the tribe of Manasseh had crossed over in battle formation in front of the people of Israel, obedient to Moses' instructions. All told, there were about 40,000 armed soldiers crossed over before God to the plains of Jericho. Soldiers, so like the Gadites and the Reubenites, which I love because it makes sense that the whole, that the Israel would need warriors to go in the front of them. And they're the only ones 
that have all of their ducks in a row back home. Like they're, they don't have to worry about their children. They don't have to worry about their wives. They don't have to worry about their herds. All of that is taken care of because Moses said, if you have wives to take care of, go take care of them. If you have houses to build, go build houses. He gives them all the chances in the world to not worry about all the things that are going with them. Maybe correct me, but I think that the rest of the tribes are still going with them, right? So like yeah, the wives all- and children of all these other tribes, their families are in this procession of people that's crossing mm-hmm. the Jordan. The Gadites and the Reubenites are the only ones who have family at home that are specifically focused on being in battle. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those Gadites and Reubenites kind of loving them. I mean, I know that this is, that's what this is. This is a narrative, but it's just really fun to trace the story all the way through. Yeah, I've never done it before. So I thought it was cool in chapter five, their first Passover on the plains of Jericho. They observed the Passover. The day after the Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the land, the manna ceased. And you're good. Like, and I was like, oh my goodness, they've still been eating manna. Like, yes. No wonder they were ready to be done with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I wrote, whoa, right beside that part that you were just reading. Mm -hmm. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Just, whoa. Like, that's amazing. Because mine actually starts out with, and then this. Could you read this in your version, that last portion? Probably 13 through the end is, I think, what she's. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us? Or are you our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as a commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. That is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, there should be, like, at least two more chapters to that part of the story. Like, Okay, so then what? It's interesting that there's... Well, I know. That's where it stops for us, but it looks like he's going to tell him some more in chapter six. It says, look sharp now. I've already given you Jericho along with the king. And I don't, there's, I don't know, but I'm guessing it's all part of this scene. Oh, yeah. So that scene. Well, oh, see, I didn't think it was part of the same scene, but I guess you might be right. The directions for how to take over Jericho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how he said when Joshua asks him, are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, neither. neither? Yes. I don't, that, I guess he's like, neither. I'm for God's army. Yeah. And you're joining it almost like you guys are part of God's army. I'm not part of your army. It makes me think about our struggle right now in society where everything is like, take a side. You have to take a side on every mm. single thing. My current conviction and struggle is, is to, I am on God's side. That is the only side that I'm on. Whatever side, whatever he wants me to do today, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And it's almost like he's like, you're like reversing the question onto them. I'm on God's side. Whose side are you on? That's what it kind of makes me think of. Yes. Well, their point in asking that was obviously to have division in some capacity, Mm -hmm. whether he's with them or not. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure Joshua wanted to know, like he sees this guy with a drawn sword, Joshua's wondering if he has to defend himself, right? Like, yes. okay, do I draw my sword and fight you? But I don't know that the neither answer would have been. 
Well, I think it's super telling Joshua's response. Joshua's response to that is tell me what right away. Yeah. Yeah. What does God want to say to his servant? Because he knows. You're obviously on my side because I'm on his side. Right. Because he says he's the commander of the Lord's army. Yeah, exactly. So Josh's response to that is pretty cool where he's like, okay, then I'm on your side. So what do you want me to do? I love that. And I also love that part of this whole scene was to show that Joshua had the same anointing that Moses did, that he was now their new leader. And this is so, it has very similar um, echoings of the burning bush where Moses was called um, for his, for his mission. He gets in a a direct encounter with the angel of the Lord and he gets told, remove your shoes for this is holy Mm -hmm. land. I'm looking forward to continuing with Joshua. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to do Psalms next? Now that we've talked read and talked through Psalm 119. I'm thinking more about, it totally ties into that conversation about the Sabbath, how like the commandments of God are our life. They're there to bring us life. Yes. And there's, there's something in 119. I just put so much freedom and power. I'm fairly certain memorizing these verses would come in handy. Boom. The best. Come in, <laughs> Make it a come song. In handy. Make it a song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so in Deuteronomy, after he finishes his song, he tells them that the words aren't meaningless, but they are your life. Mm. And just how, like, so much of what he told them were commandments. And I think mm. I mentioned this last week when we were talking about Psalms, how Psalm 119, so much of it is talking about his commands and his precepts and his laws and how those bring life to him. And he Mm -hmm. loves his word and he loves his commandment. That Sabbath idea kind of ties into it, that these guidelines God gives us for life are for our good. For our good. Yes. I love this. It says, as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit and that's why you're worshiped. Another verse that I love the wording for is in 131 right in the middle of 131, it says, I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart, like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. I found this interesting. I don't think I would have known this had I not read the devotional that's in the Bible I have, but Psalms 120 through 134 are known as the songs of ascent. Mm. And they're, um, they were traditionally sung by people as they were making their way um, to to Jerusalem. So like they were leaving everything that was familiar and comfortable and going through dangerous, you know, locations and whatnot. And so they're singing these songs as they went. Is it like something that they would sing on their pilgrimage each year for the Passover? Or is it for the past? It is for the Passover, right? It says they were sung by pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem. And that's the only context that it gave. But I would imagine. If it's like, I wonder if it's. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah, it yeah, says that is they're cool. all called pilgrim songs, so that makes sense. Yeah, mine labels them all as songs of ascent, but I have the same Bible and I did not read that. And I actually thought, I wonder what ascent means. I wonder why they're called that, so I'm glad you brought that right. up. Right. Mm-hmm. Anybody have anything else from Psalms? All right. Yeah, Isaiah is really where we get into the Sabbath. Into what? The Sabbath. Oh. Isaiah 58. Oh, yeah, true fasting. Mm-hmm. Was mm-hmm. that last week or this week? That was last week. Yeah, I love Isaiah 58. Well, I'm glad I read it, even though I shouldn't have for this. <laughs> I feel like, actually, I feel like 58 is a really great setup for these chapters that follow. It's almost like, I think it's almost necessary for that context. 
In what way? Because I think it it sets up a really great contrast for our hearts versus God's heart, who we are and what we tend to do by thinking that we can just do the things and God will God will do what he promises based on us doing the things, whether our hearts are actually involved in mm. his true heart or not. And that all of this is this section about like his promises and what he's going to do and what is still to come that he's going to fulfill because he said he would fulfill it because we can't seem to get it together. You know, <laughs> just, I know you can't get it together. And so I'm going to do these things because I, because forgiveness is my habit. Mm-hmm. Just like you always quote that he remembers that we are dust. Like it's just a, even all of our works are dust. The very beginning of 59 says the Lord's arm is not too weak to save and his ear is not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities are separating you from your God. Yes. Just that reminder that God is just like those it's on us. <laughs> yeah. And it continues to say, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Right. Yeah, I underlined all that too. Mm-hmm. And then after, so there's that section at the beginning, then there's that section you just read, Aaron, that kind of elaborates on that. And then right after that, there was no man who was interceding. So he decides to bring salvation on his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Redemption and vengeance and salvation and all of that stuff. He will come like a rushing stream. Mm-hmm. And I love here that he says, I posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. Day and night, they keep at it, praying, calling out, reminding God to remember. They are to give him no peace until he does what he said, until he makes Jerusalem famous as a city of praise. I found that really comforting, especially in light of the end of Isaiah's reading for this week. I felt like starting at the end of chapter 63 through definitely through 64 and maybe longer. I felt like, yeah. Oh, is that what it's called in yours? Mm Mm-hmm. That's it. I felt like that was the prayer. I felt like God had just given me a prayer to pray for my country, for the world, for the kingdom of God. Yeah. First, I felt reassured that he does have intercessors that are calling out day and night, that he's called people to that purpose. That's how I felt when I first read that. And then when I got to that part in 60, he gives us the prayer to pray. I mean, there's no better words than the ones that he provides here. Oh, that you would rend the, mine says rip open, but I love the phrase that you would rend the heavens and come down. This one says, oh, that you would rip open the heavens and descend. That's how I feel lately. It's just like, oh Lord, mm-hmm. come. Just, yeah, just <laughs> taken care of. Yeah. I'm going to read this part starting at the end of verse six, toward the end of 64, maybe more than toward the middle. It says, we're all sin infected, sin contaminated. Our best efforts are grease-stained rags. We dry up like autumn leaves, sin dried. We're blown off the wind. No one prays to you or makes the effort to reach out to you because you've turned away from us, left us to stew in our sins. Still, God, you are our father. We're the clay and you are our potter. All of us are what you made us. Don't be too angry with us, oh God. Don't keep a permanent account of wrongdoing. Keep in mind, please, we are your people, all of us. That's a good spot to end. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.